Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. Hello and welcome to Startup Hustle, episode one. My name is Matt DeCourcy and I'm here with my co-host, Matt Watson. As we get started into our upcoming audio journey with you guys, Matt and I would like to take a couple minutes and give you a background about ourselves as well as what we hope to accomplish, not only today, but with the upcoming episodes. So I'm going to go ahead and turn things over to Matt Watson. Well, first of all, um, you know, it's a lot of fun to do this. And I think it's, you know, a little bit of um, therapy for us as, as entrepreneurs. And, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for 15 years and uh, this, I'm you know, currently on my second, I guess you could call it startup and um, been a couple different technology related companies, software companies. Um, my background is in software development, been a software developer for over 15 years professionally. Um, started writing code when I was like 13 or something though. But yeah, I, you know, I um, w- was actually raised in a family that was very entrepreneurial. Um, I used to like go to flea markets every single weekend when I was a kid and it was always in my blood. And, uh, when I was 22, I started my first company, uh, which was a company called VIN solutions, VIN solutions, uh, which was for car dealers. And it was, uh, sales and marketing related like CRM and websites and inventory management, all these things, basically everything that the, that the dealership and the salespeople needed to kind of run the sales side of the business. And, um, was very fortunate to kind of, you know, be in the right place and the right time and have the right team and, and all those things, um, survived, uh, you know, terrible economy and Ford going or GM going bankrupt and Chrysler going bankrupt, uh, you know, persevered through all that. And there there was definitely a lot of, of, uh, hustling and problem solving along the way to get to, um, what ended up being a great successful exit, and, um, and Matt, uh, because you're one of the humblest people I know, I know I'm going to have to ask this question on behalf of our listeners. How did that exit end for you? It went really good. We uh, sold the company to autotrader.com, um, which is now part of Cox Automotive. But um, we sold it for about $150 million. So it was it was a good deal, and it was bootstrapped the whole way. We never had any outside VC money or any of that sort of stuff. Um, we tried really hard to raise money, but you know, when we were really growing in 2008, 2009, 2010, like that was the wrong time to raise capital, uh, due to the kind of downturn of the economy, but we persevered through it and made it work. And I know that you have quite a few interesting stories that you're going to share with us along the way. And, you know, having known you for, a year, year and a half at this point, I'll try to do the best I can to get some of those stories out of you as well. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with me, once again, my name is Matt DeCourcy, and both Matt and I are located in Kansas City. And while Matt wasn't born here, this is his hometown. It's my hometown. And just wanted to give you guys a little background about where we're at while we're doing this. Um, Matt and I got to be friends and started knowing each other because he was featured in a book that I published in June of 2017 titled Million Dollar Bedroom. And Million Dollar Bedroom is my own personal business narrative that 
outlines and details the story of how starting in 2009, I used an extra bedroom in my home and a credit card with an $8,000 limit to build multiple companies, $30 million of revenue, made a little bit of profit along the way, and really learned a whole lot of stuff. And much like Matt's story, and, you know, Matt, your, your business was started in your home at first, wasn't it? It was started in my basement. My dad was our first employee. My best friend was our first software developer. Absolutely. And, you know, with that, you know, our stories are very similar, minus the fact that I have not sold a company for $150 bucks. But I like to think that there's still time for that. So with that... I think we can, we'd like, let's talk a little bit about what we hope to accomplish here. And I know you mentioned the, the word therapy, and I think that there's a lot to be said about that. For me, I, I think I look back at my story and I think if someone had just told me a few things, oh my God, I would probably have a giant sack of money somewhere that I would have saved for all of the failure, unsailed ships and other things that, you know, kind of revolved around it. And, you know, some, some of that is just the learning process that goes with starting a business. But but, but, but wait a second, you, you wouldn't have listened to any of those things, right? Yeah, I, I think you're right. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's like, I have three kids, right? And anytime somebody gives me parenting advice and they don't have kids, it like I have no appreciation for their input, right? There, there are things about life that you don't understand until you go through them, right? I don't, I don't understand things about being a parent until I've been a parent. And these people that aren't a parent sure seem they got it all figured out. And there's, there's just, and there's just so many things in life that you don't understand until you go through them. Is my point. And and that's the same about being an entrepreneur. There are challenges and problems that you go through that even if, even if you read them about them in a book, they're, they're still not going to relate to you until you have lived them yourself. So you think that the difference between knowing that fire will burn you and actually being burned by the fire are different? It, it does. Okay. I agree with you. And I, and I have uh, entrepreneurial stubbornness sometimes too. So, and I think that's something we can address down the road is sometimes when and who to take advice from. And I think that, you know, as we're talking about why we're doing this, look, we don't have all the right answers and it's really going to be up to you to determine what you're going to do with your future. I think that for me personally, I just want to let people know certain stumbling blocks that appeared and things that, you know, either ended up in a huge waste of time, talent, or treasure. Would you agree? I agree. And, you know, one of the, one of the things I think defines an entrepreneur is we're usually very good problem solvers. And that's how we get, uh, you know, the idea to start a company and, and we're trying to solve a problem that, you know, we think other people will pay for. Right. I mean, that, that kind of defines, uh, starting a company and being an entrepreneur. But I think the thing you quickly find is once you have a business and you start getting some traction, getting down the road, you spend a whole lot of time solving a huge array of new problems of just running a business, right? Like learning about accounting and legal and marketing and go-to-market strategies and all these different things that um, you before didn't know anything about. And, you know, I've been in this for a long time, but I, I continue to learn new things every single week. And, you know, I, there, there are a lot of things you don't learn until you go through them. 
uh, especially hard, hard lessons and mistakes, but there are little tidbits of things that I learn all the time, nonstop that, um, you know, I, I can use and, and help improve how I do things. And, um, it, it's, it's amazing the things that you can learn and the little tidbits of, of information. So I think that's part of what we can help people with. So with that, you, it, while it's important to continue to learn lots of new stuff, you can't do everything yourself and you can't learn everything yourself. What are some of, how do you determine when you should be learning how to do something or when you should be in a way delegating or outsourcing or hiring someone else to do that? I think you have to know what you're really good at. And the the first thing you got to do is be honest with yourself and your co-founders, your team about what your strengths are, right? And focusing on your strengths. And, you know, for me, I'm not a detailed person. I don't like taking notes. I don't, uh, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of the little things I don't like to do, but I'm very good at, you know, visionary kind of stuff and product design and different things like that. I'm really good problem solver. And, and so, you know, you just surround yourself with people that can do the things that you can't, and you just got to be open and honest with yourself, of when you need help and, and recruiting people to help you. And I think that's a good example because people ask me all the time. So, you know, to get back into what I do now, I'm the founder and CEO of Gigabook, which is an online appointment platform that turns your website into a booking engine for you. Now, with that, people ask me all the time if I'm a programmer. And I, and I always joke, I say, well, I don't write code, I write checks. And, you know, you're saying determining and understanding what you're going to be good at. I, I would be a horrible programmer. And the reason is, is, and and I'm, you're an excellent programmer, but you say you're not detail oriented. I, I, I'm not, you're not a good programmer or you are, are you just not detail? I might be the best programmer in the world at solving the first 80% of the problem. And then it's the details that get after you. The rest of the developers that work on our team would probably agree. And that, see, that's my issue. And I tell people if I had, you know, I had to kind of determine what I was going to be good at and what I wasn't. And I just knew that, well, programming never really interested me because I knew I wasn't detail oriented and I'm not very patient. And, and the, the lack of patience works to my advantage and against me in a lot of situations. But in regards to programming, I, I would probably just be furious and upset like all the time. I, I tell people a lot, I'd have a, a whole stack of broken computers over in the corner because I'm just not the guy that's going to figure out where that missing semicolon is that broke a page. And I think I just find myself steaming a lot. So I, you know, for as far as I'm concerned, I found other people to do that stuff. And I focused a little more on kind of like what you said, visionary stuff, but more about creative ways to make money. So all right. So we, we've talked a little bit about why we might be doing this and what some of our backgrounds are. And, and, you know, stick with us in the future episodes. We didn't want episode one to be all about our stories. I think that we'd prefer to kind of mix those in and not have to make everybody sit through, you know, episode one, just hearing a narrative about who we are. Um, let's talk about what a startup is. I think that's a great question. What is a startup? That's a really good question, and and I, I agree. So, I mean, if you're a VC in the Valley, you're not a startup unless you could be sold for a billion dollars, right? I think if you're a startup, in my opinion, you're a business that has absolutely no protocol, no history. You're not a franchise. You're something that is... A, a, you can be a product. You can be software. You can 
I mean, technically, you can really even be services as well. I, I know exactly what a startup is. Tell me. It is a company that has not quite yet identified their go-to-market strategy and their market. Okay. They're trying to figure it out. I, then I know some companies that have been around for a while and are still startups. Well, I, that I, a complete, I, that's a completely I, different problem. Maybe. Yeah, that might be a completely different problem. And, you know, the, you always talk about, you know, an idea is one thing and the execution is another and it comes down to the execution. And, and so much of that is it's the go to market strategy. It's the ex, it, it's the execution of how to take something to market. And one of the biggest problems we have as entrepreneurs and this is probably a little more on the software side is, you know, a lot of times the founder is very focused on the product. Like they think they can just build the best product in the world. And that may be absolutely true, but if you don't figure out how to sell that thing and who wants to buy it and why they would pay for it and all those sort of things, you're never going to go anywhere. And, you know, that is a transition that I frankly have had to make of, I, you know, I spent all my time writing code and just kind of being heads down and, and focused on that when, you know, if you want to run a business and be successful, um, you got to figure out how to get people to buy this thing and take it to market, right? And and to me, that is actually way harder than building the product. Like building the product can actually be pretty easy. It's figuring out how do I find people that will pay for this thing that can right. be really hard. Right. And, you know, that's that's actually, I, I have a lot of people, as as do you, that, approach me and want either advice or input or maybe investment and whatever it is that they're doing. And I think one of the first questions I ask any startup or new business is simple. What's your path to revenue? Right. And I think we can talk about that, but I think we should probably owe everybody the service of giving them an idea of what kind of expectations and the hustle that is going to be required to make your startup actually, well, like you said, well, find the path to revenue or sell something or put the money in the bank. And I think another thing I run into as well as we get into that is a lot of people will say that they understand those expectations, but aren't willing to make the commitment that it takes to actually execute them. So as a startup founder and someone who's been in multiple businesses, especially in the beginning phases and the hustle part of things, how many hours a week were you working? Well, so with my first company, I had a full-time job and then I would come home and work three, four or five hours, you know, every night afterwards and, and work most of the weekends Abs you know, and I did that for probably two years before ever receiving any kind of paycheck from what was my new company, my, you know, my startup, right? Like I spent hours and hours and hours grinding away, trying to build a product that one day I would be able to sell. And eventually we started selling it, but the revenue then just wasn't still meaningful enough to actually pay myself. And my, my, I'm a little different because I didn't have another job when I had first started my own businesses, but I was working at least a hundred hours a week. Well, and software businesses are different, right? Like depending on the type of business you're doing, you know, for software, you got to build a product first, right? And right. there's a whole lot of time, you know, if that's weeks or months or whatever it is. Uh, so every product, every startup is different. Some startups, they're, they can get to revenue a lot quicker. Yeah, such um, as a, especially a service-related right. startup. And that, now they're not as scalable yeah. either. Right. Right. And, that, and that's one of the holy grails of um, software-related things is they can be extremely scalable. Right. They take a lot longer to build, too. Right. And with that, all right, so... 
we just established that starting a new business is going to require a lot of time. Now, with that, it's I think it's a pretty good idea to understand the, some of the sacrifices that you're going to make along with that. Because when you work 100 hours a week or more, um, well, first off, at that point, you're obsessed with what you're doing which I'm not going to say is right or wrong, but in order to do one thing, you have to not be doing another thing in most cases. And, you know, I was in a situation when I started my business where I wasn't married and I didn't have any kids now. And I know that, you know, we both have kids now and, and wives and families, but I was single at the time and I was able to really, you know, be obsessed with that. Yep. It's a lot easier to do this if you're single for sure. Yeah. Now with that, one of the things is if you have a family or you have other commitments, like you said, you had another job, right? So you're sharing your obsession with working somewhere else. So, and I think another thing that I like to let people know is success isn't going to happen between nine and five in a scripted way every day, Monday through Friday. And, you know, for me, if people ask me, they say, well, what do you think has helped, helped you become successful? I have a very patient wife who understands that. Um, and I know you do too. And that she understands. Sometimes I just say to her, I feel like I need to get something out of my system right now. And she gets it and I can go work, 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 work. And sometimes come out of a room looking like Tom Hanks that just escape from the island and cast away. Right. You know, but some of that is also, I think, understanding what kind of supporting cast you have around you as well. I, I think that the support side of that is really important. And, um, you know, my, my story was very similar. I, I actually got married, um, in 2003 and two months later started my first company. So it was like immediate. And so now my wife and I have been together, you know, 14 years, and that's all we've ever known, right? I've, I've been an entrepreneur for these last 14 years doing this. And, um, I guess that, that working relationship has been there. Like she kind of knows what I do and how I do it and, and the effort I put in and all those things. But I think you definitely got to have that supporting cast around you. Some people, you know, they, they have a crazy idea of, of whatever they want to do. And, um, you know, there's always risk involved and you got to figure out how to, how to weigh the risk, but, you know, it makes it a lot harder if everybody around you is telling you, you know, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do this. And you, you definitely got to have some support. And I, I think for a lot of people, especially when they're first starting their first company, probably one of the best things they can do is have a co-founder. When you think about that? I think it's important. And you, you touched on something earlier, you know, having a co-founder that's excellent at all the stuff that you're excellent at is going to give you a lopsided approach. Not, not helpful. And, you know, I haven't had any co-founders, true co-founders at any of my businesses. I've had what I consider to be co-founders that I vested in later that just deserve to own a little bit of, of certain things. But for me, I had to immediately, you know, also not being a detail oriented person, the very first employee I had back when the million dollar bedroom was forming was someone I knew that was highly detailed. Right. And I, I was very intentional. My intention with that was to f- complete myself and not be, 
so terrible at that stuff. So, you know, and that, and that stuff's important too, because one thing I, I definitely noticed as we talk about that, those early obsessive times was sometimes, you know, two weeks would go by and then I'd look at the stack of bills on my table and I'd be like, oh, wow, I, I should pay these or do something. And, and, you know, with that, I just noticed that, that I was getting a lot done in certain things, but my sacrifice was, you know, I seemed to in many ways be completely ignoring the other things that needed to be kept up with. So once I had hired someone to help me with a lot of that stuff, it actually, I was then looking at wide open road in front of me. I was really able to dig. I didn't have to worry about these little finicky details that drive me nuts. And right. I was able to do what I feel like I do best, That's which right. is find ways to make money. But but when you started your your last business, Gigabook, uh, don't you have a co-founder for it? I do, but it wasn't co-founded in that sense of the word. Okay. Like, and when I, re- that's why I said it was a little different. See, I, I think when you were, re- well, let's talk about what a co-founder is. Cause when you're using what's called sweat equity, Right. which is earning your part or piece in the business based on, you know, your own efforts. That's what I, I was funding things. I was still paying, but I had people with Gigabook. I had people with me that were there from the very first day. Well, and so I, I think your situation is actually really important and something I, I tell people all the time. So I always say, it's like you have the, you know, Zuckerberg's and the Winklevosses of the world, right? And it, it takes the two of them together. You know, the, the Winklevosses may have this great idea, but they've got to have um, a technical person or somebody maybe to help do it. And um, I, people always come to me and they're like, oh, I need to write some software. How do I do it? And I'm like, go find a co-founder. Go find somebody that will do the work for some sweat equity. And I think that's what you did, right? Yeah. Like you gave up, you were willing to give up a, a, a little bit of equity. And, well, and actually what we did was we were using the excess capacity from an existing business. And, and I'm going to define that as the times when people may have had nothing else to do. And so here we have, you know, Gigabook started, out of me wanting to take my dogs to the groomer and no one was answering the phone. And, you know, so I drove 20 minutes to the groomer hoping that someone was there and I got there and I walk in the door and, you know, I hear a voice in the back say, you know, Hey, I'm back here. And I go back and there's a lady that's got this giant dog in a bathtub and they're both covered with bubbles. And I figured out why she couldn't answer the phone. Now, with that, as I'm driving home after that, I, I, that really offended my sense of business because if I wasn't so committed to, it was my friend's business. So if I wasn't so committed to taking my dogs there, I just would have called the next place or the next place or the next place until I found someone that answered the phone. So, you know, I think that that's a good segue into the whole idea of, is my idea any good? Well, you were identifying a problem that you could relate to, right? Right. And, that, and, and, you know, I, actually let's talk about your current company Stackify and, and, and that same regard. Cause you know, one of the things that, that I hear you say a lot in regards to software is the high importance of it solving a problem. Right. So a lot of people do start companies and they don't necessarily solve a problem that people will pay for, right? Like something like Snapchat or something like that. And, you know, it went on to be very successful, but a a lot of consumer-based software like that, you don't necessarily know who's going to pay for it or it's ad supported and stuff like that is very difficult. But so I'm, I myself am much more of a fan of 
B2B type software, right? That I know I can build something. I know who needs it. I know how to find them. I know how to sell it to them, right? That is so much of an easier path than trying to sell to consumers. Now, um, you mentioned Stackify, you know, so when I was at Venn Solutions, uh, when we were, when I was kind of on my way out towards the end there, um, we, we had so many problems of a high growth company that was, um, you know, just rapidly scaling, had all kinds of bugs and new features. You know, went from a development team of, you know, five people to 40 people, you know, a couple of years later. And we had every problem in the world and, and just didn't have the right tools to help monitor the the software and the applications we were creating. And, you know, we would do deployments and have all sorts of problems. And um, so I really wanted to start Stackify to help solve some of those challenges because the tools just did not exist for developers. They, um, and, and if they did, they were just extremely affordable and, and, you know, only like the fortune 500 could afford them. So that's, that's what we built. Gigabook was like that. And of course I've got an arm's length of competitors now and your list is growing as well. But, you know, it, it when I look back at it, a lot of the stuff that was available was not affordable for the average bear. And that bugged me. And, you know, I'm not, I'm, I didn't start the company to try to be a crusader for the cost of, or, you know, the pricing and affordability of software as a service. Like I did want to solve a problem. And I, and honestly, I, I looked at it and at the time it, you know, this was five years ago. You, it was some places you couldn't even order a pizza online. And, I just really kind of saw that I, I felt that this tidal wave of business was coming and that, you know, here in this present day and then over the next five years that any and all businesses are going to be using online reservation stuff. And, you know, certain industries have kind of sent up a signal flare for that, but want, like you said, they weren't affordable. So that solves a problem of, and with that, you know, some of these problems you can solve for a business. All right. So Stackify can help you save money by not having to wait six months to accidentally find out that a problem existed. It can help you retain business. It can lead to less troubleshooting from your developers. It makes a lot of sense for a business to put right. it in the same way that something like Gigabook, like you don't want to miss that appointment that's coming right. in. Yeah. The, like the, the, the lady you were talking about who was busy, you know, washing the dog or whatever, she, she can't take new appointments while she's busy doing the work. And that's a problem when you're, when you're small and, and, you know, the majority, there's 25 million small businesses in the United States. And most of them, meaning more than half are represented by one person. And especially in a service related business, you can't, well, if you were, if you were getting a massage and the person that was doing it stopped every 12 minutes to answer the phone and take an appointment, you probably wouldn't go back, or at least I wouldn't. It would be a little frustrating for sure. Right. So there's, you know, there's some issues there. So, all right. So we talk about solving a problem. Well, what about certain startups that might service a niche or a specific industry? Yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's the key. You know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, Snapchat and, and things like that. Everybody thinks that if I'm going to start a, a new company, it's got to be the next Snapchat or Facebook or Airbnb or whatever it is, and at the end of the day, most successful entrepreneurs um, create a product that is in a niche somewhere that you've never heard of, right? Like there's a, a local Kansas City company here that has software to schedule flight training at private airports. Nobody in a million years would ever think about creating software for that, right? And there's thousands of other examples. And what I always tell people is you've got to take the 
industry experience you have in whatever industry it is and see if you can apply that and solve a problem in that industry. And that's, that's where you can really start and kind of branch out and, and have industry knowledge and experience you can apply and solve a problem better than somebody else and start a business based on it. And now to, to go back to what we were discussing before, this product or service should potentially help a business sell more or spend less, preferably both. Right. And that's a good that's a good way to start to determine whether your idea is any good. Uh, there's a lot of great ideas that can, in many ways, change the world, but not necessarily be monetizable. You know, I, I've, probably four years ago, I had someone approach me about an idea that on an iPhone that would allow the phone, it was a doctor and he wanted to have a little, you know, a health icon on the outside of a locked in phone. And he wanted to be able to, cause doctor, apparently people show up to the emergency room unconscious, but they have their phone in their pocket Okay, and they can't, they can't, they can't tell who these people are, maybe if they have any medical problems okay. or anything like that. And it was a great idea. I mean, like it would have literally saved lives, but I had to tell him, I said, well, what's your path to revenue here? He said, well, insurance companies could save tons of money on this. But the problem is, is you got to get them interested. You got to get them involved. Like how, who are the people that make that kind of decision at blue cross blue shield? I mean, you could spend two years just trying to get a five minute meeting and then fail. That comes back to that go to market strategy problem. Well, right. Well, and then also I, I mentioned, and this is what ended up happening. I said, the, are you positive that Apple or the other makers of phones aren't already working on this? And they have some related feature to that right now that actually came out uh, about a year and a half after the idea. Yep. So it was it was a great idea, but you know, at the same time, it would have been very difficult to monetize it because of who had to make the decisions on that and the way you were going to have to sell that. So, you know, that's a great example of something that could have literally saved lives, but would have been a remarkably hard business to start. When you're starting a new company and you're not sure what the industry looks like and who you're going to compete with and all those things. It can be very scary to see who your potential competitors are. It could be a giant company that's the industry leader, and but potentially they're focused on one part of the market. They could be focused on just large enterprises, uh, for example. That doesn't mean that you can't be successful in a specific piece of that market, a uh, specific niche, right? Um, for example, at Stackify, we, we focus more on kind of small and medium-sized businesses. Uh, some of our competitors focus only on the super large companies or companies in a specific industry or uh, companies use a specific set of technologies, right? There's, there's people that find their own way and, you know, ultimately you want to be able to service somebody that if they have these specific set of problems, you have the best product for them. And it doesn't necessarily matter exactly what that is. As long as you know why you're better than everybody else for that specific group and you know who that group is, you know where they are, you know how to reach them, you know how to sell them your product. I think one of the things to keep in mind too, if you're getting ready to launch something or, you know, start a business is to focus on the benefits Right. of what your product brings. And I think that in the for those that are inexperienced in sales or business, it's very easy to get hung up on the features 
And the important thing to remember is the features create benefits and the benefits are the reasons that people buy things. So why does my business or myself benefit from buying a specific product? And, you know, it's, there's a lot of different reasons for that. They can be to make more money, to save money. Uh, sometimes it's just out to create convenience. Um, that's an example, like with Gigabook is a lot of our users just want their life back. Right. And I think that Stackify is the same thing, like that um, peace of mind. Well, an increase in productivity, right? Right. You know, that, um, you know, using software, software developers as an example, there's frankly a huge shortage of them. We don't have enough of them and their, their time is extremely valuable. And, and they're any getting kind more, of, yeah, more any, and more expensive as well. Yeah. And any kind of product, um, they can help make them more productive, save them time so they can spend time on things that are, uh, more strategic to the business and add value is, is, it's worth a lot of money. Well, and in addition to that, if your product doesn't work, then it's not producing benefits for the users, which is remarkably expensive when you start talking about things like how much it costs to get a user or a client or even to sell a product. And, you know, I think we'll have to probably have a whole entire episode about that. I think you're right. It is. It is very. That is a very uh, uh, deep and complex problem that all businesses are are starting. So, all right. So, we we defined a few of the things that might determine whether your idea is any good or not. Matt, how how good are you at creating a plan? I would not say I am the best person at creating a plan. A written plan or a plan in general? My plan is there is no plan. My plan is that we will figure it out after we jump and then build wings. That's usually the way I do it. I yeah. mean, my, my wife is the kind that if we're going to Disney World or something, she has packed everything like two weeks in advance and knows exactly where we're going to be minute by minute by minute. I would have packed my bag like 10 minutes before and I would have just showed up and be like, well, let's figure it out. Yeah, I would have bought what I needed when I got there and uh, just to maybe make you feel a little better on our last family trip. I considered hiring a Sherpa to carry all of the bags that my wife brought. It was, uh, and, and may, maybe on episode one, I'll post a picture of that. Cause it's really, uh, have a, have a picture from the Vegas airport, but it shows my wife surrounded by about 2000 bags. All of which think, were ours. But I think there's something really, <laughs> there's something actually really important here, right? Because part of the trouble of creating a startup and a business is, pretty much whatever plan you have is going to go way out the window. I agree. And, and actually I think that's really important. If, if you're the kind of person that can't handle change, you're probably not meant for startups. I mean, it's the, whatever plan you have, uh, you think you're going to like, Oh, we're going to build this product and these people are going to love it. You're going to find out like, it's not going to work that way. Right. Or you think we're going to grow this much and you're not going to grow that much or whatever it is, you're going to have to continue to kind of adapt and overcome and you got to be flexible, right? You like you got to be like the Marines. You're like you're in there and you're figuring it out. That's what the hustle is all about, right? It is. But I also want to go back because I don't want to be in the business of giving people horrible advice. It's likely that you really do need a plan. Um, it's actually one of the things that I'm always talking to hopefuls about. And your plan has to have a sunny day and a rainy day contingency. At the same time, I don't think. I'm not a huge believer in, okay, uh, future projections is equals wrong every time. They're a waste of time. 
Yeah. And that's, I think it's like predicting when your wife is going to have a baby, like it's not going to be that day. Sure. And that's, yeah, maybe another episode because actually it had, it was very precise for us, but different, different subject there. Now with that plan, the things that we've already been talking about, like determine your path to revenue, what kind of uh, niche industry or problem are you going to solve are all important. Another thing to really have your arms wrapped around is the amount of resource that you're going to need to build what most in the software or other uh, type industries will call an MVP or a minimally viable product. And, you know, what, how do you feel about that? I think we could spend a whole episode talking about that. And I think that we will, but with that, you know, the resources that, I think one of the things that I am very vehement about when it comes to planning is actually, I I always, I'm a very positive person, but when it comes to assumptions or planning for a new business, I am remarkably cynical. Like, cause I don't want to, I'd rather uh, be wrong. Right. uh, In the other direction and not go broke halfway into a 12 month plan. Well, and don't get me wrong. I think plans are very important, but the, at least on the software side, right? You, you make a lot of plans and they're more so kind of your guiding light to me. It's like, this is where we're trying to go. That's the direction we're trying to get to. You know, we may meander a little bit around and and then we're going to have some hurdles along the way. And, you know, ultimately you want to know where you're trying to get. But I, I think the point for me is that you you have to be good at, at handling those those hurdles that come along the way, and, and you're going to make some some tweaks. You know what the original idea that I actually started Stackify for, uh, we don't even do anymore. That doesn't it's surprise gone. me, right? And that was like, oh, I'm going to start it. I was so excited. We're going to do this, this, this. Everybody's going to love it. Nope, didn't work. And and I'm just so I'm just saying, like you, but we're still successful. Like we went on and we we changed gears a little bit, still have the same focus, but just a little different way of solving the same problem. And I think that's my point is whatever you decide, whatever the plan is, it's going to change a little bit. Like you still have the same direction and goal, but you have to be ready for that change. And spending like months and years making some detailed business plan is pretty much going to be wrong whatever it is. Like it's, it's good, but it doesn't need to be that detailed. Like you just kind of know like the direction now let's, but let's talk about something else though. Cause and maybe software businesses are different. Well, I think right? that, I think that we're also giving a perspective here of two people that have already found a successful path and then we're able to seed our own businesses with resources. Now, if you are seeking other people's money for your idea, then you probably should have a pretty detailed plan. I, I think I think you should. And so I think that's something we should we should touch on here in this first episode, right? Is um, when it comes to starting your own company, you, you definitely should have a little bit of a plan, right? You sh- you should, you know, talk to people and um, But everybody's gonna steal my good idea. Oh now. crap. Um, well not true. Then what do you do about that? I mean, so I, I, I hear people tell me that all the time. Me too. And some guy was telling me at a, it was like a networking event uh, for local IT stuff. And the guy just starts telling me about this uh, plan for some software that had something to do with a music festival. Or He's like, I don't even know why I'm telling you this. He's like, you just look like you have an honest face. And I'm like, dude, I have no passion for what you're talking about. I literally don't care. I'm not going to think about this five minutes after I, see you ever again. I don't have the passion for it. It's except, not, it's except, not for when we bro- except for when we broadcast it in a podcast. Yeah. Whoops. Sorry about that. But I mean, the, but the point is 
not everybody has the passion and the vision for whatever your thing is, right? Like I don't have a passion and vision for online appointment scheduling. Right. You do, right? And on some days, some, some days. Um, and, and I think that's my point is you, you need to talk to everybody you can to continue to validate the idea and network with people that might be able to help you find your first customers or partners or founders or co-founders or like all these different things. And honestly, I think the best thing you can do is, is talk to many people as you can. Now you don't, doesn't mean reveal like your super trade secret or something, but I think it's good to talk to people. And I think when you do that, it's really important to be objective. Don't ever get mad at someone because they don't like your idea. Um, Just take it under advisement. Yeah. Right. And, and now, if ten people in a row tell you, then if ten maybe people in a row there. tell you, then there might be something there. But you know, listen to when people are telling you what they think, and don't be afraid to ask them. So, what do you think's wrong with this plan? Absolutely. And you're going to learn a lot more from that than you are. Uh, you know, another thing to be careful of as well here is. I personally don't seek this kind of advice from people that I know are going to have a hard time telling me no. Right. And that they don't like, I want people like, well, you, you're like me. I'm brutally honest. Well, and that, and so actually you touch on something that is kind of a big problem in a lot of startup communities yeah. and maybe it's more of yes, a, a Midwest thing where, uh, just people are too nice, right? Yeah. They're too polite. You're like, Oh yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Instead of saying, Nope. Terrible idea, and this is why. And honestly, that's what people need to hear sometimes. Yeah. But they need the constructive criticism is what they need. Um, I've and accidentally made a couple people cry. People, and I did feel bad after that, but it was because, you know, and, and I'm, I'm, it wasn't my intention. You tampered, tampered down a little bit? Yeah. Well, I try. It's hard when you feel like you're really busy sometimes, too, because a lot of the people that want to get my ear, they're like, can I please just have 20 minutes of your time and you can tell me if you think the idea is good or not? So you give it to them. They talk to you for 15 minutes. You give them five minutes of feedback and you can tell that you feel like you've crushed someone's hopes and dreams. And, and from my perspective, I feel like I probably pumped up your hopes and dreams because I might've saved, saved you a hell of a lot of money. You know, as a, as a friend of mine always says, you've freed up their future. I like that. I have not, I have you've not freed heard, up their future. And I think that's, that that's, that's what good. she says to people when she fires them. She's like, I freed up your future. You can find out what your future is, what you're good at, but it's not this. And, you know, sometimes that's true. Now, once again, just because someone says they don't like your idea doesn't mean that it's a bad idea. So ask more than one person. Be objective to the feedback. Um, Try to, you know, another thing, too, I think that's really important is if you can manage it, try to find as many successful people as you can to ask. People that they might not have already gone exact down the exact path that you're seeking. But I think that's probably when people ask me for advice the most is they just want to say, Hey, I, I see you've done all right with a few things. Can I get some input? Well, I think there's a couple of things there, right? It's, so it's one thing to ask, you know, another entrepreneur about the challenges they have of just being a startup. And a lot of times that is therapy in itself. And it's, it's good to uh, cry and drink beer and, and do that kind of stuff. But then it's another thing to do industry research, right? Like, I'm in um, the IT world is, is my industry. It's like, you know, I need to meet all the time continually with people in my industry getting feedback from them. Even at our point now, we have a product. We've been in business for five years. I still need to talk to the industry. I still need to learn about trends in the industry. And if you're starting up, that's what you should be doing. Find people on LinkedIn that could be helpful for you. Send them a message and ask to buy them a cup of coffee and get 10 minutes of their time or whatever. And 
learn everything you can about that industry. Ask, ask them the questions you need to know, like who, who does this? Are they good at it? Are they bad at it? What do I need to know? You know, you just, you got to get out there and talk to people. And the more people you talk to, the better off. If we're going to talk about the resources needed to start a new business. And once again, this is going to be a, uh, a whole nother topic for a whole nother episode, but it's obviously always a lot about money. And one of the things that I think that it's important for you to understand if you have aspirations of your own startup is you shouldn't expect to have a whole lot of money for a while. Um, it's, I, it's, it's a very, very rough road, especially in the beginning. So I, I read something the other day that said the average entrepreneur makes is I think it was 70% less than they normally would have made if they had a job. Like they made like 30% of their wage. Like it's significantly less. Like, like I mentioned earlier, the first couple of years that I was doing my uh, last company, I didn't have any income from my startup and my current startup I have today. I haven't had any income from it for five years. Now I'm in a different place. That's, that's not really something that's key to me at this, at this point, but it's, it's a reality, right? Like going into this, you gotta be, you gotta be able to do that. It's not a job. It's, it's, it's a startup and, and you don't make money until the company makes money. It's the way it works. Well, I think that that's pretty good advice. So I think this is probably a good spot for us to wrap up episode one. Um, I think that in episode two, we can get into how you take action after you've created your turned your idea into a plan and how you're going to be able to possibly take that to market and what to expect when it comes to, you know, approaching new business, how to do that objectively, like what a good time frame for doing some of that is. And, uh, it's, it sounds very similar to starting a podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mainly the part where you go into it without a plan and then see what happens. Is this like our MVP? I would say so. Yeah. All right. Thanks for your time, everybody. Stick around. We look forward to chatting with you again here. Thanks, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.